Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. And good morning, Flourishing Grace. You guys doing all right? Good. What was that? Normally I get a good morning or a woo, but I heard something different. I don't know what it was, though. Awesome. It's good to be with you guys this morning. For those of you who are new, my name is Josh Nye, the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. Um, and it's already been a fantastic morning for us. Uh, we had a baptism in our last gathering, which is why my arm is all wet. Just wanted to point out the awkward thing in the room. Um, I mean, wear a sweater during baptism? What is wrong with you? Come on, man. How long have you been doing this? What is wrong with that guy? Yes, uh, before we get into our sermon this morning, uh, re- real quick, you know, there's, we, got, we have a team going to India today. We're going to talk about that later. We got baptism this morning. We had night to shine two nights ago. It's been a lot going on, like a lot going on. And so I kind of forgot about something that's coming up called Lent. Um, kind of seems like something a pastor should remember. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about Lent for just a minute. I know many of you guys grew up in church. You are familiar with Lent. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic church. You're very familiar with the season of Lent. Um, And here at Flourishing Grace, man, we want to, uh, man, really focus in during the season of Lent. Maybe you didn't grow up to go to church at all. You're like, what's Lent? Is that what's in my pocket? Yes and no, all at the same time. Fascinatingly, it is. Um, Lent is the season of preparation as we prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter. We, we want to lean in. We don't want Easter just kind of come and go and like happen to us. We want to walk into it and journey into Easter together as a church, ready and prepared people, ready to experience the most amazing thing that has ever taken place on the history, in the history of the world, in all of creation, that God would come for us, that that same God would die for us and raise from the dead so that we might be raised to new life. We don't want that to just kind of go in and out. We, and we want to wade deeply into that truth. And so we prepare ourselves through the whole season of Lent. We start that on Ash Wednesday. We have an Ash Wednesday kind of self-guided time of meditation and prayer, a time of preparation to say, okay, let's go. Let's focus in. Let's get ready for Easter and Good Friday. And so we have three different Ash Wednesday uh, gathering times here at Flourishing Grace. Um, 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., and then 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. And it's a self-guided time. So you just come. There's nothing. There's no, there's, you don't need to register. There's nothing happening. You just come in, and we'll have different stations in this room, a place where you can begin to prepare your heart and your mind to set yourself, to set your face towards Easter, towards Holy Week uh, as a church. And so I want to encourage you to participate in this um, two Wednesdays from now. So it's not this Wednesday. This Wednesday is Midweek Kids. Next Wednesday, um, the Wednesday after this um, is Ash Wednesday. And so I want to encourage you to participate in this. And I want to encourage you to come to the earlier gathering. I mean, for those of you who can, 6.30 to 8.30, Ash Wednesday is supposed to be this time where we set ourselves early in the morning. We set our day. We are ready. We are focused in. I know not everybody can, which is why we offer the other times. But if you can, come to the early one. I want to challenge you and encourage you. 6.30. You can even come during any time during that time. Okay, so it's not everybody show up at 6.30. Anytime between 6.30 and 8.30, anytime between 11.30 and 1.30, you show up and we'll be ready for you. Does that make sense? Okay, and I know some of you are already like, wait, are we supposed to give something up for Lent? Like, what are we giving up? And some of you are like, ah, oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to give up. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't give up anything dumb for Lent, okay? Um, I'm being serious, actually. Um, please don't, okay? Listen, that stuff is... It's dumb. It's, it's fine, but it's dumb. Um, here's what I want you to do. I'm serious. I want you to, to consider this question. 
what's, what, is, what is in my life right now that can no longer be in my life if I'm going to follow after Jesus and become more like him? What exists in my life right now that can no longer exist if I'm going to follow after Jesus and become like him? I want you to consider that. I want you to pray on that. I want you to come to Ash Wednesday, hopefully with, with an answer to that question. And I want you to say, that's what I'm giving up for Lent. Because I want to follow after Jesus. I want to become more like him. Okay? And I promise it's not chocolate. All right? It's just it's not chocolate. So consider that. And we'll, we, will, we will set our face towards Easter together. All right, friends. Let's go. Matthew 6. Verse 10 is where we are this morning. And so we've been, we've been in this last week. We began wading into the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, hallowed be your name. We talked about that last Sunday. And this morning we're wading into your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we're going to go this morning. There's a famous story in the Old Testament, Exodus 17, um, where the people of Israel are attacked by King Amalek. And King Amalek is, comes in and he's attacking the nation of Israel. And Moses is an old man at the time. He's like, I ain't, I'm not fit to go fight this battle. So he sends Joshua. Joshua and the men of Israel go out to, to the battlefield to, to take battle against Amalek. But Moses, kind of fam- this famous scene, Moses kind of goes up on the mountain. He takes the, the rod, the staff of God. It's the same one that he used to kind of turn into a snake or the one that he uh, put into the, to the, the Nile River, River and turned it into blood, like this kind of famous rod. And he, he lifts it up uh, over the battlefield. And as he lifts up the rod, Joshua and the, the people of Israel are winning the fight against Amalek. But then Moses, he's an, old, he's an old guy at this time, and his arms get a little tired. And he begins to kind of set it down. He's like, just a, just a little break. Just kind of kind of stretch it out a little bit. And then Amalek begins to defeat the Israelites. He's like, oh, no. And he lifts it up again. And Joshua begins to defeat Amalek. And then he gets tired again. And then Amalek begins, and he realizes, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And the people of Israel realize this. So they bring a rock for him to sit on. And Aaron stands on one side and holds Moses' arm. And Hur stands on the other side and holds his other arm. And all day long, Moses holds the rod of God. He holds the staff up. And as he holds it up, All day long, the entire day, Israel is defeating Amalek. And he holds his arms up all day. Imagine like the pain, like in his shoulders and his triceps, all the blood running out of his hands and just just numb arms. He holds his arms all day long until the sun is setting. And finally, the battle is over and the victory belongs to Israel and Joshua. It's this picture, this scene in the Old Testament where we see on display this unbelievable battle, not the battle that's happening on the field, a battle that's happening on the sidelines. Moses is ferociously fighting for dependency on God. He is contending for dependency, that the nation, the people of Israel, would be a dependent people, that they would see in this example of Moses that it is God who will deliver us every single time. If we are delivered, it will be a deliverance of God or it will not be delivered at all. God is the one that we must be dependent on. Last Sunday, we talked about how dependency is a right and healthy thing. It's a good thing for us to be dependent on God. Everything in our culture says, no, 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 fight for to be independent. Don't be dependent on anyone. Not here. Followers of Jesus are dependent on God and it's good and right. But this morning, I want you to see it's not just good and right. It is necessary for us to be dependent on God. We must be dependent on God. Every battle will be won, if it's won at all, 
because we were dependent on God. This story of Moses on the mountain is a snapshot. It's kind of like this little micro snapshot of the entire Old Testament. For those of you who have read your Bible, maybe even read your Bible, you kind of know this already. The whole Old Testament is this little scene on repeat on a grander scale again and again and again and again and again and again and again, right? The people of the nation of Israel turn towards God and God produces the kingdom. The nation flourishes. The kingdom comes. His will is done in the nation of Israel, in the kingdom of Israel, on earth as it is in heaven. And, and they, they worship God and they celebrate God and there's, there's feasting and there's victory in battle and there's a growth in the nation. And then at somewhere along the way, they realize, man, we have the kingdom. It's good, it's amazing. Like, look at that, we have all, we've got all the stuff. We are set, we're powerful. But look at the Moabite women, looking pretty good. Look at the gods of Baal, the gods of Asherah. Like they got cool stuff over there. Maybe we could get some of that and maybe we could get some of this. And they turn away from God. They say, we love the kingdom. We don't really need the king. Like we'll be our own kings. We'll do our own thing in our own way. And God removes his hand and the kingdom no longer comes and his will is no longer done. And they move into a season of famine and sorrow. The food runs out. Slavery, captivity, times of exile, until one day a prophet or a priest or a king turns the nation back to God. And there's repentance and confession and sorrow and mourning. There's ash, ash Wednesday, right? And they're returned back to God. And then once again, the kingdom comes and his will is done. And there's feasting and there's delight in the land. There's victory in the land, right? And this scene is on repeat. It's like a seesaw of dependency, independency, dependency, independency. Through the entire Old Testament, flourishing and suffering, flourishing and suffering. And every time they're dependent on God, the nation and the kingdom flourishes. And every time they seek independence, they say, we don't really need the king anymore. Right? There's suffering and there's sorrow. This is the story of God's people. And so it brings us to the place where we say, okay, what's going on right now? Where are we today? When you look at the world, how are we doing? Flourishing, peace and joy, bounty and goodness, or sorrow and despair and brokenness and defeat? Where are we right now? When you look at your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers, when you look at your family, when you look at our nation, when you look at the world, how are we doing right now? And it would be wise of you to consider, why is it so? And for the Christians in the room, we know why it's so. We know what ushers in the kingdom. And we know what thwarts it. The kingdom is prayed into existence. As the people of God become dependent, the kingdom comes. We've forgotten that some of the sweetest times of life for the Christian are not times of wealth and excess, health and prosperity. No, for the fall of Jesus, we are nearest to him in our times of pain and sorrow and helplessness because these seasons drive us to greater and greater dependency. And that's where we want to be. We want to be a dependent people. And in the sweetest times of life are the times of the greatest dependency. And yet, and yet as a, in general, Christians, well-intentioned people, will do anything in their power to numb that longing, to numb that feeling. I don't want to feel like I need 
And so I take medication. I don't want to feel like I need. And so I hoard wealth for myself. I don't want to feel like I need. And so I fight to control every situation in my life. I need to be in control. It's who we are. I don't want to be dependent. I want to be independent. Thrusting ourselves farther and farther and farther out of his kingdom and his will. We know that dependency produces greater flourishing. And yet the moment we are confronted, uncomfortable, we say, I, 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 don't, I need to be in control. I need to be the king. Or the moment we are comfortable, we say, I make a pretty good king. I mean, I love the kingdom, but I'd be a pretty good king. We go around and around and around. And we, we begin to believe that, man, we can control the outcome of the kingdom. If I could just get this politician into office, then the kingdom would be fine. We, our kingdom would be great if we just had this person in the office. Or if I could just get this politician out of office, then the kingdom would be better. And then everything would be great. If I could just get a people to, to agree on these values and these views, then the kingdom would be great. Or if I could just be able to view on these values and these views, then the kingdom, if everybody was just more like me, the world would be a better place. Because I make a pretty good king. I love the kingdom. But I don't need a king. I just need people to, to follow me, to agree with me. Or maybe you don't care about any of that stuff at all. Maybe you don't get, politics isn't going to save the kingdom. You're like, yeah, I know that. But the market will. If we could just get the market turned around. If I just have enough money, right? If we, if we could just get debt down and get more money in my savings account and just a kind of this independency that comes with financial freedom. If I just had that, then we'd be set. The kingdom would be great. We have a view of our own kingdom, and either we want to be the king of that kingdom, or we don't want anybody to be the king of that kingdom. Just leave us alone. Just give us what we need and leave us alone. We've forgotten that the kingdom that we long for, the kingdom that we need, will only come as we already become dependent on the true king. Jesus is inviting us, in the Lord's Prayer, is inviting us to pray against that idea on a daily basis. To pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. It reminds us that we are not the king. And his kingdom and his will are, is greater than ours. He's the true king that we need. And his kingdom is the great kingdom. The Lord's Prayer reminds us that the kingdom of God is a kingdom that will come. It comes when people become dependent on that God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that comes when a people become dependent on that God. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that comes when a people become dependent on that God. That's what I want you guys to see this morning. That's what I want you to know this morning. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that comes when a people become dependent on that God. Right dependency ushers in the kingdom of God. Right dependency ushers in the kingdom of God. There are things that God wants to do in your life. Things that God wants to do in your home, things that God wants to do in your office, with your family, with your friends, in your school that he has not done yet because you have not prayed for them yet. We get confused on this. We begin to believe, no, no, God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And it's true. He is sovereign over all things and he can do whatever he wants to do. And he wants you to pray in the kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, when you pray, say this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
in my home as it is in heaven, in my soul as it is in heaven, in my place of work as it is in heaven, in my school as it is in heaven, right? We pray in the kingdom. It is our job. And there are things that God has withheld until we pray them in. There are things that God wants to do in your life, in the lives of you around you that he has not done yet because you have not prayed them yet. We must be people who take seriously the call to pray in the kingdom of God. This is the task of the church. And so what does it look like? How do we do this? This is something that we have jacked up in so many ways, in so many ways. I think Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of this in Matthew 9. In Matthew 9, there's a verse, Matthew 9, 37. You guys know it, even if you don't know it, you, you know it, okay? In Matthew 9, 37, Jesus says, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. See, you guys know it. It's on t-shirts and coffee mugs and every sermon on missions that's ever been preached. Like, that's the theme. We're going to bang that drum. Every conference on missions, every time we talk about, I mean, we need to, we need to mobilize people. We need to rally people, right? The reason why we need you is because the harvest is plentiful and the labor is a few, so let's go. Let's get off the couch. Let's get on the field. Let's, let's get in the game. Let's go. The harvest is plentiful. The labor is a few. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what he says at all. We forget about verse 38, the very next line. It's all one sentence. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray. And not just pray. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. To send laborers into the harvest. That is what Jesus has tasked us with. Not to, not to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and be independent people who kind of take the field. We're not Rambo. We're not the Lone Ranger kind of going out and doing this all by ourselves. Jesus says, no, no, no. Your primary role is to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. You see, you all live in South Davis County, or at least Almost all of you do, I think. Um, you probably knew that already. Um, Utah is the least reached state in the United States of America. Every stat, every poll, again and again and again, when it comes to Christians, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Christ-adoring men and women, there is fewer of them here than anywhere in the United States of America. Second's Rhode Island, okay? We're beating them out, okay? Number one, Utah. There are less Christians here than anywhere else in the United States. And right here in South Davis County is this massive place where there's so many people and so few people who actually know the true Jesus, the Jesus who died and rose again for their sins. The Jesus who was fully God, the only God who has ever been and ever will be, that Jesus. There's so few here. And I want you to hear this this morning. You are here. Not because you took a job here and, you, and you're like, man, I can't wait to advance my career here. That's not why you're here. You're not here because you came one time and you saw the mountains. You're like, that looks fun. Let's live here. That's not why you're here. That's not why you're here. For those of you who have lived here your whole life, you are not here because your mom and dad moved here. You're not here because your grandma and grandpa or your great-grandma and grandpa or your great-great-great-grandma. That's not why you're here. 
You are here because people have been praying to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And you need to wrap your heart around that and realize that you are here as a response to those prayers. You are the laborers who have been sent into the harvest. But again, you did not come as people who are independent. You are people who are dependent. You're dependent on the Lord of the harvest. It is not your job to single-handedly take over the world. This is not a rally cry. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Let's go. It's not a rallying cry for us. Maybe if you live in Dallas, Texas, or Atlanta, Georgia, that's a rallying cry. Let's go. Let's give money. Let's go serve the poor. That's not a rallying cry for us. It's a crushing blow. That you would be the only person in your entire neighborhood that knows Jesus. It's all on you. That's not a rally cry. I don't want to live under that weight. It's not lost. Many of you guys are the only Christian in your entire office. It's all on you. That's not a rally cry. My young people in the room, you're like one of a handful. Literally, you can count them on one hand of the Christians who are in your high school or your junior high. It's not comforting. All right, it's all on you. It's not comforting. It's not a rally cry. Until you read the next line. Therefore, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. You are not independent. You are dependent. The good news is that we have a greater king who has the power and the might to bring in a greater kingdom than we could possibly dream of. And while he sends us into the harvest, he sends us as dependent, not independent. And he gives us the primary task of praying for more labors. Yes, yes, it's on you as a laborer, but you're not alone. You have a king who wants to usher in more laborers. There was a season two years ago at Flourishing Grace where we prayed this. We entered into a season of prayer and we called everybody to pray this prayer that God would send more laborers right here to Flourishing Grace Church. They would send more laborers to Utah. And God answered those prayers in a profound way, in a very realistic way. I don't even know if they know this, but a couple years ago, as we were praying that, God sent John King, who was leading us this morning in worship, and his wife, Abby. And they moved to Utah in that season of prayer. There are several core families in this room who have been here for a couple of years that showed up during that season of prayer and said, man, I love Jesus and I love his church and I just want to be a part of what God's doing here in Utah. God advanced his kingdom. He poured out labors into our midst during that season of prayer. As we commit to that, as we lean into that, God does an amazing work in our midst. And I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we, unlike Israel, could actually sustain that dependency in that prayer. I wonder what Davis County would look like if just one church, just one church said every day, your kingdom come and your will be done, not mine. What movement of God might happen in our time? What would it be like if we could sustain that every single day? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus is inviting us into in the Lord's Prayer. Many of you guys know that almost nine years ago, I moved here with my family. I moved here from Chicago. And there's somebody famous that was, uh, spent most of their life in Chicago. Um, I went to a school in Chicago called Moody Theological Seminary. Right? That's where I graduated from. That's where I learned how to do all of this church stuff. And there, that, it's named after a guy, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody is a famous evangelist in the 1800s. He was, he was originally from Boston. He was a poor shoe salesman, fifth grade education. But then God got a hold of his life. 
and opened up his eyes, and he became one of the most famous traveling evangelists on the East Coast. Thousands of people, tens of thousands, would show up to hear him preach. And thousands of people gave their life to Jesus through his preaching, through his evangelism, everywhere he would go. And kind of later in life, he settled in Chicago. He opened up a school there for orphans. Amazing story, led thousands to Christ in Chicago, planted churches. Churches were started through his ministry. And eventually, man, that's where kind of my school, that's where I became from is from D.L. Moody. And part of his story is, is for most of his adult life, D.L. Moody kept a list in his pocket of 100 names, 100 names of people who don't know Jesus. And every day he would pray through that list. 100 people every day he would pray for them. Here at Flourishing Grace, we're like, pray for one, just like one person in your life. Just pray for one person that doesn't know Jesus. That's what we're always banging. We're banging that drum. D.L. Moody had a list of 100 names that he carried around with him. And over the course of his life, he'd just pray every single day for those names. He would contend in prayer for the kingdom of God to come in their life. And on the day that he died, 96 out of 100 were scratched off that list. 96 out of 100 had come to faith in Jesus. And not all of them through his direct preaching or through his direct words, like God had answered the prayers for those 96. It's an incredible story. Every day, praying the kingdom of God into their lives. He knew that it wasn't all on him, that he was co-laboring with God. He could be dependent on the Lord of the harvest to bring about that harvest. And he did faithfully. But the story doesn't end there. During Moody's funeral, those last four people were in attendance. And the story goes that through his eulogy and and the words that were shared of his life is so compelling. And somebody stood up and gave a gospel presentation and those four people all gave their life to Christ on that day at his funeral. All 100 people on the list came to faith in Jesus because he was faithful to pray kingdom prayers into their life. Moses knew when he stood up on that mountain that the people of Israel were dependent on God. Even though they didn't know it in the moment, they're swinging their swords and they're fighting the battle and that's all they're thinking about. But Moses says, I will be the one who leads the charge of dependency for you. Moody led the charge of dependency for people who had no idea how dependent they all were on God. That's the gap that we stand in here in South Davis County. Yes, we take the gospel to our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends, but we are dependent on God for them on their behalf, that the kingdom would come in their life, the will of God would be done. God has you right where he has you for such a time as this. You are where you are because he is sovereign over your life. God has given you a task above all other tasks to pray with dependency for his kingdom. And God will come where he is wanted. We must cultivate a dependency on the king for the kingdom for the sake of South Davis County. We must be a people who cultivate dependency for the sake of South Davis County. But not just South Davis County. Not just our backyard, not just our friends. Not just, it's not just for us and our little comfort zone here. It's for the whole world. The whole world needs the kingdom of God. The whole world needs the king of kings to usher in his kingdom. And so we pray for the world. And as God answers those prayers, laborers are sent into the harvest. I want to show you guys a map. Daniel, can you throw that that map for me? 
So this map was created by um, the International Missions Board. And all of those dots um, represent people groups. And so the green dots are reached people groups. These are, these are groups of people, um, kind of unique, distinct people groups. And the green ones are where missionaries have gone in, the gospel has gone forth, churches have been planted, and people are coming to Jesus at an alarming rate. A movement of God is happening in every single one of those green dots. The orange ones are unreached people groups, where, 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 where missionaries are being sent, the gospel is going forward, churches are being planted, but there is no response yet. The people are still an unreached people. And then the, the red dots, if you can zoom in just a little bit, Daniel, the red dots are where no one's going and no one is reached. I want you to notice that massive sea of green in China. Okay? Listen, this has nothing to do with my sermon this morning, but I think it's important for us. That's incredible. Like, that's insane. Okay? There is an, there's a movement happening in an underground church in China that is unlike anything like we have seen in so long in the entire world. And I think this is important for you to know that one of the fastest growing churches in the world is in China. Millions upon millions upon millions of people are giving their lives to Jesus. And here's why it's important for you to know. Listen, in the coming months and years, I want you, Flourishing Grace, I want you to know this. The leaders might be terrible and wicked and awful, but the people are your brothers and sisters. You're going to need to cling to that truth. I promise you. In the coming months and years, you're going to need to know that. The leaders might be wicked and terrible, but the people, the people are your brothers and sisters. It's a critical thing for you to know and hold true. But the most unreached place is right there in the middle, India. Can you zoom in on that one, Daniel? Zoom in on India. There you go. By far... There's nothing like it in the world. India is the least reached place on the planet. There's nothing like it. And today, today, a team of 15 folks from Flourishing Grace Church are going to leave the comfort of their homes in South Davis County and their families and their friends. They're going to fly to the other side of the globe. And they're going to travel into one of the most concentrated areas of red dots on that map to proclaim the gospel and the goodness and the kindness of Jesus to the people in India. And they're going, not because they're like, oh, that sounds cool. They're not going because, um, man, there's something in it for them. They're going because the people on the ground, the people in that area have been praying for laborers. And God has raised up laborers right here at Flourishing Grace who are going to go into that field. Laborers who are going to engage in that mission and participate in the kingdom work of God. And these men and women are going to be those laborers, to be a response to kingdom prayers. And I want us as a church to be praying for them. And so, yes, in this season, I want to challenge you to write down the name of your one and put it someplace where you'll be praying for them every single day. But more than that, I want you right now in this moment to be praying for the people who are going to India today. And so in a minute, I'm going to ask them to stand, and I'm going to have uh, you, maybe if you're comfortable, kind of get out of your rows, get out of your seats for a second, just put a hand on them and pray over them. 
But before I do, I mean, there's been a lot of prayers for this team. A lot of prayers for their safety, a lot of prayers for their health. And I don't want to discourage you from praying those prayers. But here's the deal. They're not going to India because they want to be safe. They're not going to India because they want to be healthy. They're going for the kingdom of God. And so I'd love to see this room just be filled with kingdom prayers. That the kingdom would come and his will would be done in India as it is in heaven. Would you pray that over these men and women? Would you join me in begging God to pour out a movement that those red dots would become green dots because of the work that he is going to do, the king of kings is going to bring the kingdom into that community and into that area. And we'll see a movement of God as he sends laborers into the harvest. I want to ask the team in India, for those of you who are, I know a lot of them were at the first gathering because we're getting on a plane in a minute. Um, would you stand for me? If you're, going, if you're going to India, would you stand for me? Man, if you would, just grab one of them and just pray over them. And I'll close this in a minute. You can get out of your rows, get out of your aisles. Um, or you can just pray where you're seated. Um, but lay a hand on them, and I'll close this in a minute. Let's, let's lift up a prayer. Father, You are a near and present help in our times of joy and our times of trouble. You are infinitely loving towards us. Your love is constant. And your power is dependable. We can depend on you for all things. For our next breath and for engaging in unreached people groups across the world. And everything in between, on the smallest of things and on the greatest of things, we depend on you. And I ask that you would cultivate a kingdom dependency, that we would be a people who long for the kingdom to be ushered in, in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our offices, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, and in the entire world. That we would be people who cry for the justice and the mercy of your kingdom. We praise you for the king. We praise you for Jesus and the work that he's already accomplished, the work that he's already done in establishing a right and good kingdom. Would you answer our prayers? Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done in our lives in South Davis County and around the world as it is in heaven? Go before us. Go before these men and women. Raise up more laborers. Pour out your power as we are faithfully dependent on you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. In the name of our King, amen. Amen, flourishing grace.